this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to continue on uh, in this teaching on worship. If you guys are visiting with us today, we don't always have the room set up like this, but we might keep it like this for a little while. Uh, We've been teaching on worship and what worship is and why we do it. And uh, why do we worship the way that we worship? Why do we lift our hands? Why do we shout? Why do we clap? Why do we dance? Why do we stand up? Why do we sit down? All these different aspects of, of the why to worship. And as we were studying this and as we were looking through this, I just felt like the Lord stirred inside my spirit um, a message for this morning entitled, Worship as a Weapon. And we're going to talk about the, the power that is released when we worship. Seven years ago, um, I'm going to tell a story about Pastor Daniel and myself while he's not here, um, while he's downstairs with the kids. Um, we were doing ministry in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we were... Uh, you could uh, you could probably sum up this trip as everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And if we had one trip, we took hundreds of trips throughout our uh, tenure in ministry school together. We went all across the nation and preached the gospel. But this particular trip ranked up there. It was definitely the worst trip we ever went on, if we're just being honest, as far as things that could go wrong. Our pastor wound up passing kidney stones in the middle of a message wound up being hospitalized for the, the remaining tenure of our time there. We had um, a student that just had the spirit of stupid on him. You know, uh, you know, Pastor Daniel and I talk a lot about how there's some people and we try to analyze their personality types and we look at, man, what's wrong with them? Why can't they just be discipled by Jesus? And some people just got a spirit of stupid. I'm being honest. This kid, I mean, he was just stupid. And wound up getting uh, wound up getting involved in uh, in an inappropriate relationship with the hosting pastor's daughter. That's just stupid. And uh, he, I mean, it's not just sinful; it's stupid and sinful. And uh, and so you can imagine everything that is is kind of it's a pretty tumultuous time while we're here trying to minister in Las Vegas, and everything's going wrong. The church is mad at us. The pastor's mad at us. Our pastor's not even there, and we're a bunch of ministry school students like, oh my gosh, what's going on? In the midst of this time of just kind of just uh, outrageous turmoil and, and this uh, just everything going wrong, if you'll ask Pastor Daniel, he'll tell you that everything was going great until I showed up, um, <laughs> which, which is true. But I showed up with the kid with the spirit of stupid on him. So it's, uh, I'm not taking the fall for that. But in the, midst of, uh, in the midst of doing ministry, we were doing street ministry. And we actually wound up partnering with another group from Pueblo, Colorado that we didn't know was going to be there. It was a God-ordained thing. And we're ministering out on the streets because the church isn't too happy with us right now. And, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're doing some work at this, uh, at this school, helping renovate it and just share the gospel. In the meantime, I had a backpack that had my entire livelihood in it as, my, as a freshman in college. It had a MacBook Pro. It had my wallet. It had my yo-yo in it. It had everything that uh, that that made up <laughs> made up me. Um, I and uh, I passed that backpack off 
to the leader of this ministry trip, this, this pastor's wife from Pueblo, because she was watching everybody's stuff. And I was helping load some stuff up into the back of this van. And about five minutes later, I come back and I'm and, and looking for my backpack and she had walked away from all the stuff and it had been stolen in downtown Las Vegas. And so with me there uh, as, a, as a young student that didn't really have much to begin with, this was, this was kind of, I didn't have a car, but I had a computer and it was how I was financing my way through ministry school by doing computer stuff on the side and it had all of our ministries, um, messaging and media and everything on here. And it, it had been stolen. And I was pretty bummed about the yo-yo too. And uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty rough, rough go at it. I, I really struggled to have forgiveness in my heart for this particular ministry leader that walked away from our stuff. But we paused there and we prayed. We asked that the Lord would return it. And uh, it, it didn't happen like that. It didn't just show up. And we went back to service that night and we went back and uh, everything is just, I mean, there's a spirit of heaviness. If you want to talk about a spiritual attack, there was a, a real spiritual attack that was taking place while we were trying to do ministry here in one of the darkest cities in the world. And it was in that moment that I decided that I was going to worship the Lord regardless of what was transpiring. I remember setting my face and I took my phone out of my pocket as I always did. And I would turn it off because we were stepping into service. We stepped into pre-service prayer and I set my heart that God was still worthy and that he was going to receive glory. And it was in that moment that we began to, we began to just worship. And I mean, when, when I say we worshiped, we worshiped hard and we worshiped loud. And we may have looked a little crazy to the, the people around us, but we were passionate about seeing Jesus exalted. And, and, and the band started playing, and it was just some upbeat song about blessed be your name. You give and you take away. And it was in that moment that, God, you are good, and I'm going to worship you anyway. But it was, in, it was at that precise moment that my phone in my pocket started going off. And I, I couldn't figure out why. And I reached in and I pushed the silent button and, and it stopped. And then it, it started going off again. And uh, I, I knew that I had turned my phone off. So I pulled it out and there was a, a, a 702 area code number, which was Las Vegas, Nevada at the time. And I just couldn't figure it out. So I stepped out of service and kind of convicted because I knew Pastor Jamie would wring my neck if he knew I was answering my phone during worship. And I stepped out and I answered the phone and there's a guy in tears on the other line saying that he had a computer and that uh, he had found a backpack and that as he was going through it and he was opening it up and he was planning on selling it and keeping it, that uh, it, it, he got convicted by the Lord to find out whose it was and called me back on the other side of Las Vegas. I mean, in a rough part of town, my computer traveled all the way across to Las Vegas somehow and wound up in this guy's possession. I don't know if he was the one that took it or if he found it or, or what the deal was, but the spirit of the Lord brought conviction upon him. We got to go and meet with this guy. I left service actually. Pastor Jamie probably wouldn't have been happy about that either, but we hopped in a car and we left service and we got to go pray with this guy. And uh, we, got to, we got to share the gospel with him. He re rededicated his life to the Lord and he returned everything that was stolen. And the Lord used the power of that testimony to minister mightily in a Starbucks in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I came because I was so excited about what God had just did. I started to record a video and as we were recording video, we didn't realize that Starbucks was actually closed, but the baristas were there and asked if we would pray with them and share the gospel with them. And God moved mightily.
But I believe this, it wasn't just in response to a a good intention. I believe that it didn't just happen because it was coincidence, but I believe something transformative occurred when worship was deliberately released in spite of circumstance. And I believe this, the Lord has given us a powerful weapon in regards to worship, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of, of whatever kind of tumultuous situation you might find yourself in. The Lord is worthy to receive worship, and when he receives worship, worship, the kingdom of darkness is driven back. Does that make sense, my friends? I, I, I can prove that biblically, and we can look at that scripturally. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5, we have this promise of scripture, and it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, many many people have this concept um, of Christianity that centrally revolves around the ideas of love and peace and joy and compassion and charity. And I would say rightfully so. Those are good things. And those are, those are what the gospel hinges upon. It hinges upon love and it hinges upon God's love for people. But what we have failed to do is prepare God's people for a spiritual battle. I believe that we have neglected the importance of the, uh, of the realm of discipleship of training up God's people for war. You know, it's almost the idea of, of a, you can picture like maybe WWE or WWF or WW something, whatever it was, that, that, that worldwide wrestling federation of the, the big guys in the, in the weird outfits that beat each other up with chairs and chainsaws and stuff, and it's all staged and we know it, but it's like a manly thing, right? You watch that, you don't see like the pansy guy getting in the ring, like <laughs> hitting somebody over the head with a two by four. It's always these like big 450 pound guys that have muscles on their muscles and they have muscles on their eyeballs. Like it's, it's, it's like this manly thing. Could you imagine going to one of these wrestling events and, and this big, just manly, just piece of muscle comes out and starts handing out like peace flowers to everybody, right? Because that, that, that kind of, it would be a little contradictory. That's how people view Christianity. Not that we're this big, muscly, meaty guy, but um, <laughs> people view Christianity as this, you know, this peace and love and joy and righteousness. And you have the little blue-eyed picture of Jesus with, uh, with the long hair and the little lamb. And that's, that, that, that can be the conceptual identity of Christianity. Can I tell you, it's much more than that. We serve a king that is coming back riding on a white horse whose name is faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. We serve a conquering king, and there is a real spiritual battle that's going on. And friends, I'm not trying to negate or try to, try to diminish the idea that we are called to live and walk in love and righteousness and all those things that I mentioned, but we have to be alert to the fact that there is a real enemy that there's a real spiritual battle going on and that there's a real war raging for souls. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be alert and be of a sober mind. Be awakened to the reality that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
Friends, we, we treat spiritual warfare and we treat the, the notion of a devil and of Satan and our enemy as just something that's kind of fictitious and fairy tale. Friends, if we believe that the Lord is loving and kind and real and has a plan and a purpose for your life, you have to, with equal, um, with equal conviction, stand behind the fact that there is a real enemy and that there's a real devil who also has a plan for people's lives. That doesn't preach as fun, that's not as pretty, and it's not as comfortable, but it's true, and Scripture addresses the fact that we are living in a spiritual battle. And we're to be alert to it. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. The realms? Heavenly realms. <laughs> your worship is a strategic weapon excuse me your worship is a strategic weapon that is instrumental in destroying the works of darkness and hindering the works of the enemy it's not something that uh that we can just kind of casually entertain or casually give ourselves to. But I believe that worship has been placed as central priority in the heart and the life of the believer as a weapon to drive back the forces of darkness. You know, David believed this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 25, he's setting, a point, he's setting a point musicians in the house of the Lord to minister before the Lord day and night. He's gathering together musicians and worship leaders for the sole purpose of a porpoise. <laughs> so little mammal uh, water thing that no, <laughs> for the sole purpose of seeing God exalted and seeing his name made great. But you know who he gathers together to, to pick out these people to lead worship? It's not like the tutti frutti poets of the time. It's not the, it's not the great intellectual thinkers. He gathers together the military, the commander of the Lord's armies, it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 25 in the very beginning. It's, you sit down and you gather together the, the generals of all of your armies <laughs> and says, let's set appoint musicians in the house of the Lord. There was a military strategy behind setting forth musicians in the house of the Lord because Daniel, not Daniel, David, David understood something about worship and that it was warfare. David, we know, is this conquering king, right? We look, we, look at, we look at his exploits. We look throughout scripture. We read about him as the one that slays the giants. He's destroying the Philistines. I mean, he is one bad cat, right? Like he's, he's going hard after it. But he was also the one that we understand was after the Lord's heart. He was the one that we understood would, would get alone on a hillside and play his harp and his lyre and sing to the Lord. Because those two things, that ferocious mentality of this, this conquering nature is not just reserved for those that are of the elite stature and just kind of, you know what, I'm geared that way and I'm a manly man. The, the idea of worship and warfare are, are, are conveniently throughout scripture intermingled. And I believe that that's true in a spiritual sense for us today, that the weapons of our warfare are prayer and worship. Do you guys know Satan hates it when you worship? 
I believe that there's probably nothing more in this life that, that gets under Satan's skin than when he hears God's people singing his praise. Do you want to know why? Because it was his job initially. It was initially given to Satan to be the worship leader of all creation and of heaven. We, we understand that from reading through scripture. It actually says that he was giving authority to worship God more than anybody else. It's, it's a crazy thing to think that, that, that there was a created being that somehow had a level of response to the worthiness of God more though, so than somebody else. So we understand here that God was kind of playing favorites. It says that in scripture that he was given authority to worship over other creation. And he was leading creation in this song. And it says, we actually understand through study that his body was made up of musical instruments. It was something that, that was in his nature. He was created to worship the Lord. And, and we understand by concept of pride that crept in, that he was cast out of heaven and his kind of spiritual coup got, got unfurled and, and he got cast down to the earth. We understand that. And he got robbed from his position from heaven. But I don't know about you, but when you lose at something and somebody else is winning, somebody takes your place, I, I, maybe it's just the competitive nature in me, but I can't stand it. I was playing Frisbee golf the other day. And the, and the nature of golf is kind of interesting in and of itself is you're really playing against yourself. You're not really playing against other people. You're just trying to get the lowest score. But when, uh, when, uh, when you're at like a, sitting at a plus eight and it's really bad, and your friends over here still sitting at even or a negative one. There, it's not so much that I really want to do better at this sense in the game because I, I realize that I'm not going to, I'm not that great and I'm not going to get better, but I really want the guy that I'm playing with to do a heck of a lot worse. <laughs> I was playing with my friend Ethan yesterday and the guy's just stupid good at everything. And I'm telling him, man, can you just like throw it into a tree or something so I feel better about myself? I believe that that's the same mentality that Satan has because he's sitting down here knowing that he's missing out on what he was created for and that there are beings, i.e. you and mine, who were not able to rightfully worship God in our, in our current state. But because of the blood of Jesus, we were made righteous and God receives worship from our lifestyles and he receives worship from our mouths and he receives worship from his people that it irritates him because there was something that he was supposed to be doing that he's no longer doing because he forfeited it. And he understands the power that is residing in the place of worship. And it messes up his plans. I'm sure he doesn't like that either, but... I believe there's something that just, I, I believe he, he probably, I don't know if, I don't think Satan sleeps, but if he did, he'd have bad dreams of, of the people of God worshiping, I think, knowing that that was what he was created and his purpose was intended for. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to look at two portions of scripture today, both in the Old and the New Testament that give us a strong understanding of the power of worship in regards to warfare. I said Second Chronicles, right? 20? I was like, man, this doesn't look right because I was looking at Second Kings. <laughs> I'm going to read a large portion of scripture and then I'm going to abbreviate some of it and kind of paraphrase, but just for the, the sake of time, um, 
I would encourage you guys afterwards to read Second Chronicles chapter really 18 through 20 and look at the life of Jehoshaphat. It's very intriguing, very interesting. But beginning in verse 1, it says, The Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Minunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his, fake, set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Verses 5 through 12 respond, uh, kind of cover the prayer of Jehoshaphat as he lifts up and he recounts and reminds God of who he is and his faithfulness and brings, brings God's promises back before his name. It's a great model of prayer. I encourage you to read it. But jumping forth to first, verse 13, it says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. Notice here, the sons of Asaph. He comes from the direct line of Levites that were appointed to stand in the house of the Lord by, by, uh, his, uh, by David that we read about in 1 Chronicles 25. So there's a, there's a lineage here that follows generations that's inherited, and we see Jehaziel respond in this way. So Jehaziel comes under the spirit of the Lord, stands up in the midst of the assembly, and he has a word, and he says, Listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not, do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's tomorrow go down against them and behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. So just to recap here, we have armies amassing against Jerusalem, amassing against the nation of Judah at the time, and King Jehoshaphat, and they're large, powerful armies. There's three of them that are converging to attack uh, God's people. And uh, we see Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. He declares a fast and he, he begins to pray. And in the midst of, of this time of prayer, the spirit of the Lord falls upon this Jehaziel guy. And notice the boldness that Jehaziel has when he stands up. He says, now listen up people and you listen up king. I mean, I don't know exactly how, how this format works, but uh, I imagine that there is there are times that no just like random joker just stands up and says, you know what, listen up king. You're going to do what I says. And he has this word from the Lord, but because the spirit of the Lord was acting upon him and was ministering with him, I believe that there, there, there was this power that was released. And he says, guys, don't worry. You're going to go out to battle and it's going to be great. And God's got this because it's not your fight. He says that it's his. And uh, you, all you have to do is just stand firm and see the Lord bring about salvation for you. 
Right? At that point in time, you know what? I would have clapped my hands and said, you know what? That sounds great. I'm going home. I'm going to take a nap. going to go hang out with my family because God said he got this. I think that's what we do sometimes, right? Sometimes we're, uh, we, we, we have a situation or we have, a, we have uh, something going wrong in our lives that we just kind of pause when somebody comes with an encouraging word and an affirming word and said, okay, God's got this. Good. That means he doesn't need my help anymore. I'm just going to go and uh, hit the sack and kind of retire and let him, let him do his thing. But the response here is interesting. It says, after that, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Koahites, and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had Taking counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in his holy attire as they went before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come out against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting themselves to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So what do you have here? In this story, we have an impossible situation. We have the armies uh, of the enemy amassing against the people of God. We have the king of Judah um, announcing and calling a time of prayer and fasting and assembling the people, humbling themselves, seeking the Lord's face. We have the prophet. Well, we just actually have this random guy. He's mentioned here. We don't really have any idea of his title, but we can probably understand he was, uh, had some kind of role in worship just based upon his lineage here. He has, a, he has the spirit of God come upon him. He has this word of the Lord that's spoken forth. We have a response to the word of God. And then there's this kind of extra thing that takes place at the end because they're still going out to battle. And the king appoints singers, not, not his mightiest men, not those most skilled with the bow or with the sword to stand at the front lines as they go out into battle. And they're singing this song, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And that's how they enter into battle. And we see the spirit of God making use here. Uh, we, see, we see God outstretching his arm and the enemy begins to destroy itself. And its, its plans are unfurled, and we see destruction come upon the enemies of God here in this story in Second Chronicles chapter 20. I want to just, uh, I want to look at three keys to breakthrough that I believe we can apply to our lives today. The first one I think that we can pull out of Second Chronicles chapter 20 that's really practical is that when we're faced with an impossible circumstance, when we're faced with a situation where we need to see God move, when we're faced with, a, with this, uh, this kind of attack from the enemy and we need to see God show himself strong, there's three keys. The first one is to seek the Lord. Whoa, Pastor Nate, that's really deep and profound. It's simple. You've heard me say that this Christianity thing is, is simple. It's just not easy. It's simple, but we make it difficult. 
Number one, we seek the Lord, and we see that happen with um, Jehoshaphat here. It says that he sought his, set his face to seek the Lord. We actually have recounted in chapter 18 and chapter 19 of Second Chronicles is this, this is kind of a common theme in Jehoshaphat's life. He's always seeking counsel of the Lord. In fact, he even makes some poor decisions and he makes some poor um, treaties with uh, the king to the north with King Ahab and he actually gets rebuked, but it says, the Lord still says this about you. You have set your face to seek him. You have set your heart to seek the Lord and that's why you're going to continue to prosper. And so friends, I, I believe that you can make mistakes. I can believe that, that you can really royally mess up but there is an importance in setting your face and setting your heart to seek the Lord. So what does that look like? That looks like fasting and praying. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He called a fast and he called a corporate assembly of prayer. And he surrounded himself with people that were willing to answer that call. You know, I, I can't imagine what would happen if uh, he would call uh, a corporate assembly and, and nobody showed up. I don't know what would happen in that day. It would probably not be good for the people that didn't show up. <clears throat> but you see an earnest desire amongst the people here to respond and seek the Lord for help because they'd seen it demonstrated in the lives of a leader. And so I believe that one of the keys to breakthrough is that you're to fast and pray and seek the Lord. And you're to surround yourself with people that are willing to fast and pray and seek the Lord. I had a heartbreaking conversation the other day that I just kind of was uh, casually a part of, of uh, speaking about a, a student that doesn't have any friends that serve Jesus anymore. And we were just kind of discussing this amongst the staff of how do you get to a place where you have no friends that serve the Lord? We kind of came to the conclusion that you might not be serving the Lord, but... Um, Guys, it's important to guard who you surround yourselves with. You know, we always are so quick to label Jesus friend of sinners. And we forget the fact that that wasn't any a name that Jesus ever ascribed to himself. That wasn't a name that, um, that uh, God ever gave or the people of God ever gave to Jesus. Well, I believe he wants to be everybody's friend. He is not everybody's friend. He loves everybody, but he's not everybody's friend because friend requires a relationship. And he might associate himself and he might, he might be found ministering to those that are broken and hurting and lost. But those that you surround yourselves with on an intentional basis should be those that push you into the presence of the Lord. If you can look around and you can name your five closest friends and they're not, and they're not challenging you to love Jesus more, find better friends. I'm telling you, that's what I had to do. That's why Daniel, that's why Adam are out here. That's why they're on staff at the church, not because we have this amazing, I mean, this overflow of resources that we need all these different pastoral staffs and, and, and this stuff. They're here because I need them to push me to love Jesus more. And they do. And that's, that's why we do this. There's a real place. They're doing awesome in ministry. That sounded like I was just throwing them under the bus. They're awesome and we do need them. But I, I told Daniel that when I brought him out here, man, I, I need you out here for me. And uh, I would encourage you guys to, to look at your friends. Look at those that you surround yourselves with. Look at those that have a voice of influence in your life. If they're not willing to pray and fast with you for what's going on in your life, get rid of them. I'm, I'm telling you, get rid of them. Pray for them, love them, but don't let them have a voice of influence in your life. I know that that's not popular and that's, somebody's going to be like, Pastor Nate, you can't treat people like that. Yes, I can. Jesus did it. 
He turned around and he told people to leave if they weren't willing to take the harsh teaching that he had. Surround yourself with people that are going to push you to love Jesus more. The second key to, I believe, breakthrough when an attack of the enemy is coming is to hear and respond to the word of the Lord. Right? Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is what happened in this story. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and he had a word from God for the people. And what happened? Judah, all of Judah heard the word of the Lord and it stirred faith in their hearts that God was going to do what he said that he was going to do. And they responded in action. Faith will always manifest itself in action. Do you understand that they still showed up to the battle? field. They still uh, amassed their army. They still showed up for the fight. That was something that was supposed to happen, but they had complete faith and trust in God that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Friends, get around the word of God. Read this message. Read this word. Get around people that you know hear from God, that have a relationship, and when they have a word from the Lord, heed it and heed this scripture. But don't just let it go in one ear out the other. Hear it and respond to it. The response that we read about wasn't one of just casual comfort. It wasn't one of going home to their beds and, and thinking, you know what? Okay, it's under control. We're gonna, God's going to show up and then, uh, we're just going to kind of lay back in laziness and, and see God do this. They still showed up and they responded in worship. I thought this was fascinating their worship was extravagant long before the battle ever began. Do you understand that? They had heard rumor that it was coming. They sought the Lord, but their response to the word of the Lord was one of extravagant worship. It says here that they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Your translation might, might read it a little bit differently, but it was an extreme praise of the Lord. It was, it was put into action. It was demonstrated. They stood up. They rose to their feet after being down on the ground, worshiping the Lord, responding to the reverence. It says that they stood up and with a loud voice that they worshiped God. It wasn't this casual thing. They were saying, oh God, you're good. They rose to their feet and they responded to the Lord and, and they responded with a song. And I think friends, that it's important for us to, to kind of grasp this thought that worship was something that was consistent, that prayer and seeking the Lord was something that was consistent in the life of Jehoshaphat and demonstrated throughout Judah during this time period. That when trial and tribulation came, it wasn't them just running around trying to, trying to scramble up answers on what do we do. I believe that this was something that was a consistent practice, one for King Jehoshaphat because we've seen it, and also for the people of Judah to respond to the Lord in worship and seeking his face. Friends, if we are prepared, if we live in a place of preparedness, we'll never have to live in a place of, of repairedness. Does that make sense? Backwards, I'm, I'm trying to rip somebody off that I heard that say one time. Pastor Jamie would say it all the time. You have to prepare yourself so you don't have to repair yourself. And I think that's so true here. And we see that demonstrated that worship long before the battle ever begins is key to the victory when the day shows up. And the last thing I wrote down, you got to get your praise on. I'm telling you, some of us don't know how to praise the Lord. 
That's why we've been talking about this. That's why we've been teaching on this. That's why we've been reading about what, what God, what does God actually like? Because it's easy for us to kind of, you know what, I'm comfortable when I sit down and I'm comfortable, you know, when the, when the, they play the music that I like and they, they sing the songs that I like to sing. And you know what, maybe I'm comfortable with clapping my hands, but don't ask me to lift them. Or maybe I'm comfortable with, uh, with kneeling, but don't ask me to bow down. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not playing the card, but some of us need to learn how to praise the Lord because there is a right way and a wrong way to praise him. And he describes it in his word about what he likes. That's why we've been teaching on this. This is why we've been talking about this. This is why we've been giving instruction on why do we sing. Not just because it's the church thing to do. Not just because it's the thing that Pastor Nate does and he wants everybody to do it. No, we want to be a church that models the example of Scripture. And we want to respond to him in the way that he asks us to respond to him. I had a couple leave the church a, a, a few months ago because he said, you know what? I don't, like, I don't like the fact that you told me I had to sing in worship. And I, I had this conversation and said, well, I didn't tell you that you had to sing. Jesus said that. I don't know that doesn't, I know that people don't like that. I'm, not, I'm sorry about that, friends. But there is, there is a biblical precedent for the things that we do in the corporate setting of worship. And that's why we're teaching on them. And God likes it a particular way. And if, if that's a hard thing for you to grasp, man, I'll pray with you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to say, man, your worship for Jesus is inadequate. We're not doing scorecards or anything like that, but I believe there's something that he delights and he desires in. And when we, when we connect with that, we grasp with his heart, we're going to see the kingdom of hell pushed back. We're going to see a a spiritual battle break forth and we're going to see God show himself strong. So I said, my last point was to get your praise on. (laughs) I know some of the times when I'm struggling the hardest to encounter the Lord, I'll throw on some old school Jason Upton. Some, I mean, everybody's like, that's not old school. I was there when he, I was, I was saved when he was born. Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) It was new when I first got saved. So... But Jesus is worthy of our worship. And even in the midst of facing a battle and an enemy head on, I believe that's where we need to worship the strongest and the hardest. I wrote down here that we need to show up for battle. You know, God didn't just allow the the fight to kind of dissipate and disappear. He still required his people to show up. And I think that a lot of the times we can kind of live with this mentality of knowing, you know what, Jesus saved me. I'm saved by his blood. And, uh, you know, I have the promises of God and everything's going to work itself out. Friends, and we kind of resign from the fact that there's a spiritual war going on and that people are dying and going to hell. And we're just content with doing our Christian thing, showing up on Sunday morning and putting some money in the offering plate and going about our business when there, when there is a real spiritual war going on. And he, he requires his people to show up. He, he requires his people to be engaged. But when we're engaged in the place of worship, it says that he takes care of the battle says the battle's not ours, it's the Lord's, but he still loves to partner with his people and he loves the fact when we show up ready to fight. This isn't just because the Lord can take care of it. This isn't just because the, the, the Lord is strong and that he's mighty that we kind of sit back and we reside and we, we fall back into this pattern of laziness and spiritual complacency. 
which we can so easily do. He allows struggle and difficulty in our lives. He allows battles to take place because I believe it's in those moments that he receives the most glory because he can stretch out his hand and show himself strong. He can prove himself to be deliverer and he can receive glory when he makes something happen. Does that make sense? Worship cannot be our last ditch effort. I think for a lot of us, we think about, we wait till everything goes wrong and we're at the end of our rope, and then maybe we'll respond with Jesus. Well, God, you're good, so can you fix this? You can fix the situation that we're in. I believe worship needs to be the first and foremost response in everything that we set ourselves and face ourselves to do. Does that make sense? I, I believe we wouldn't, we wouldn't experience half of the, the things that we walk through in this life, and the struggle and, and, and the stupidity that we get ourselves in, if we learned how to keep worship at the central place in the first place. What do I mean by that? Think about this. Some of y'all just need to put worship music on everywhere you go. You need to stop listening to things that are not worship music. I'm saying that just, that, this is practical. This isn't scripture. This is just practical. This is Pastor Nate giving you some practical advice. You try to have an argument with your wife when you've got Eddie James in the background singing, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm just saying, you try it. It, it doesn't work. If you, got, if, you got, if you got some worship leader in the background singing, Lord, I love you and I want more of you. And, and they sing a lot better than me because I can't sing, but... You try to have a fight with your kids. You try to be disrespectful to your mom, Mackenzie. It won't happen. You're going to feel the conviction of the Lord, and you're not going to be able to walk. I'm just saying. I, I can't imagine Mackenzie being disrespectful. Um, she's like, we all want to be like her. I, I feel like she could model the follow me like I follow Christ, just like uh, Paul said, and we'd be, all be pretty okay. Um, <laughs> I say that just because of the fact that... Um, Worship is so pivotal to experiencing breakthrough in the life of the believer. It's something that we, we have to understand. And worship cannot just reside as an, as an occurrence that takes place as part of church on Sunday morning. Friends, if worship is not an active part of your everyday life, you are missing out on the best thing about what we have in fellowship with the Father. If you're waiting till Sunday morning when you have a full band of musicians or a half band of musicians, then uh, you're missing out on what God has for you. Worship needs to be pivotal and central to everything that you do in this life. And if you're going days or times without living and worshiping Jesus, or if you're going out without times without, without having an encounter with the Lord, you're missing out on what God has intended for you in this life. And that doesn't just mean worship music. Um, but I believe that there's an important aspect about that, that you should have central in your life. Friends, you need to worship Jesus more. That's what I'm telling you. That's what this message is about. Worship Jesus. If you want to see breakthrough in your life, worship Jesus more. Like sincerely, really worship Jesus. And that means with music too. I'm not just talking, I know we've talked a lot about worship as a lifestyle, but there's something to be said about worship just in general in, in regards to praising the Lord with song and with singing. That's what we're talking about here today. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16.
That's on page 1202. I just, somebody turned to page 1202 and now they're in like Revelation or something. They're confused. They're like, you're a liar, Pastor Nate. For the sake of this, I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm going to just uh, give a summary here. You have Paul and Silas doing the ministry and the work of the Lord. And there's a demon-possessed girl with some owners that are um, unscrupulous and they're following around Paul. And she's, she's actually responding in truth, but there's this, she's crying out. She says, these men are servants of the most high God who are going to show you the way to salvation. And uh, there's almost this mocking spirit on her that's, that they're following around. And Paul finally gets frustrated and casts this demon out of this girl and they get arrested for it. They get beaten, they get flogged, they get put in prison. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a bad rap all because they cast a demon out of some girl, set her free, and were doing the work of the Lord while they were on the place to prayer. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes we wind up in rough situations when we feel like we've been doing everything right. Does anybody ever feel like that? It seems like, you know what? Everything is going wrong. Everything's falling apart. And God, I'm doing my best to serve you. And I've tried and I've been faithful and I've been consistent. And I still find myself in less than ideal circumstances. Friends, you're not alone. That's not out of the ordinary. That's not something strange. Jesus didn't say, come follow me and everything's going to be perfect all the time. I wish he did say something like that. That's how we preach the gospel sometimes in our churches. But that's not, that's not true. What we have here is a perfect example of Paul and Silas doing everything right, walking in the will of the Lord, and still winding up in a tight spot, right? (laughs) I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you're facing opposition, if you feel like you're facing attack or persecution, it's not always because you're outside the will of the Lord. I believe when you're living in the perfect will of God, you should be probably attracting an onslaught of the enemy. And it's in that place where where we experience persecution, where we experience setback, where we experience opposition, that we give the opportunity for the Lord to show himself strong and he actually has um, he actually has a manner to receive greater glory. But I look at Paul and Silas and they've, they've had this pretty rough day. And, you know, I don't think any of us would have condemned Paul and Silas, you know, if they're in prison, if we were like, man, get some rest, get some sleep, figure this thing out in the morning, right? I don't know. That's probably, that would have been what I would have done. I'd be like, God, this is rough. This is hard. And this is, this is, I mean, I'm in this prison and it smells bad and everything's just bad right now but we, we get this kind of peek into what was taking place in chapter 16 and verse 25. It says, it was about midnight and Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. So here it is there. You talk about being at the end of your rope. Talk about being frustrated, discouraged, tired. I mean, having probably all the, I'm going to put quotations around this, justifiable reasons to not be in a place of worship and not being thankful. You have Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God. And it says that the prisoners were listening to them. 
We know the story, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. You have Paul and Silas in a dark situation, in a rough spot. They respond in the same way that we see Jehoshaphat respond through prayer and through worship. And we see God show himself strong in an impossible situation. But there's something unique here in Acts chapter 16 that I think we need to take note of. Was that we see prisoners listening to Paul and Silas. I want you to understand that we are living in a world that's in a real spiritual battle and there are people that are spiritually blinded and imprisoned by the love of this world that are listening to how you respond. They are listening to how you respond in trial and tribulation. They're listening to how you respond in this life. And will they, will they be met with grumbling and complaining? Or will they see worship and the exaltation of Jesus that will set the foundation of what they are being imprisoned on and let that be rattled and their bonds be shaken as a response of your worship? Friends, your worship could be the key to unlocking the prison door in somebody else's life. I want you to understand here, all of the prisoners' bonds were broken. All of the gates were open. They didn't run off. They didn't leave. But the prison guard did get saved as a result of this. And I can't imagine what kind of revival broke out in, in, in this prison when they all returned. They all stayed in prison. I mean, God had to do something there in the beginning. Or I don't see why anybody would have stayed in prison if they hadn't changed their hearts. Right? Because, I mean, if they were, I would have ran off if I didn't have any fear of the Lord. But God did something in their lives. And it was as a result of being in a tight spot. It was as a result of being in an impossible situation and a genuine response in the place of worship that set the captives free. They saw God's hand outstretched. They saw salvation come forth. I don't know what situation you guys might be in today. I don't know your stories. I don't know where you've come from and I don't know where, you, where, where you, all of you are headed. But I do know this. I do know that we all wind up in struggles. I know that we all wind up in places where we can't make something happen. And I'm going to ask you if worship will be your first response or will it be your backup plan? Or will you not even turn to the Lord at all? God is worthy and deserving of our praise. He's deserving of our adoration and he's deserving of our worship. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www opendoorpagosa.com Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.